Welcome to Three Devs and a Maybe, the podcast series for beginner web developers and general web enthusiasts. Now, introducing your show hosts, Michael Budd, Fraser Hart, Lewis Keynes, and Ed Mann. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to another edition of our podcast, Three Devs and a Maybe. Hope you're all good. I'm joined this afternoon, well, I should introduce myself first of all. I'm Lewis Keynes, happy to present this week, and I'm joined by three people, which is a rarity for this podcast. We're normally two or three, but we've actually got four of us this week, which is cool. I'm uh, I'm joined firstly by the ever-present Ed Man. Hello. Hello. How you doing, Ed? I'm doing good, thank you, sir. Good, good, good. And the magnificent Mickey B., Oh wow! I'm trying right. to go down. Whoa, this whoa, whoa! He got yeah. a better introduction than me. So, I'm sorry, I, I oh. forgot. I forgot. You've you've started doing this thing during the introductions now, and I've <laughs> kind of okay. remembered halfway I through. I forgive you. Yeah, I do apologise. <laughs> Ado, right. Mike, you good? Yeah, really good. Thanks. Yeah. Should I say Batman? You should indeed. Yeah. No, I said it. Don't explain, explain it. Don't explain it. Don't explain it. No, I think we should just leave it there. I, mean, yeah, I think just saying, yeah, Batman. That is Batman. his name today. Is Batman, and you don't need to know why. You just need to work it out for yourselves. Exactly. Fine. And uh, finally, we're joined. We've got a very special guest that's come on this week. He um, he actually reached out to me recently with, uh, from another podcast where I was talking about some issues that I've been having with working with some uh, property-based APIs. His name is Matt Davis. Hello, Matt. How are you doing? Hey, yeah, good. Thanks. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks. Thank you very much for coming on. Is it, This is your first, first podcast, is it? Or It is, yeah. Okay, <laughs> cool. Hopefully you're not too nervous. No, I'll be fine. <laughs> Sure. Okay. <laughs> have you have you heard many of these before? Do you have you? Yeah, yeah. I subscribe. Um, I say, I, yeah, I haven't been subscribed for that long actually. Um, He's our subscriber. He is, <laughs> he is the subscriber. Thank you. <laughs> You're the one that downloads them. Brilliant. <laughs> Yeah, cool. Well, yeah, thank you very much for coming on. We obviously look forward to um, to catching up with you a bit. I don't know if you guys want to do the usual kind of what's everyone been up to kind of thing, or yeah, can do. Ed, how are you? What have you been up to? Oh, now you asked me first, damn it. Uh, yeah, no, it's been really well, actually. Thanks, man. Yeah. Um, what have I been up to? Recently, actually, on Friday, last Friday, I recorded a podcast with Adam Watham uh, mm. for Full Stat Radio, which was an interesting experience being the guest. Uh, really nervous, I was, actually. It was really <laughs> weird being role reversed. I was like, whoa, this is scary. Uh, and that was dropped today, actually. It was dropped like probably about half hour ago. Uh, so it's fullstatradio.com for us, episode 40 or 40. And uh, yeah, it's talking about Postgres and stuff, so that was interesting. Did it go well? I think it did. Uh, I'm halfway through listening to it, and I, I don't sound too stupid yet. I'm sure I'll, <laughs> I'm sure I will make it up, you know, in the uh, second half of it. But no, it was really interesting and really fun, kind of talking about Postgres and kind of because I've been doing a lot of exploring myself and everything, learning all these bits and bobs, and it's nice to kind of talk to someone about it and really. Yeah, explore like able to kind of think. Oh, actually, okay, I do know a little bit about it now. But yeah, there's still so much with databases and stuff. It's just a whole big world. Cool. And he's going to start. Is, is it something that he wants to start working with himself then? Or uh, well, I think the idea is that really, um, you know, obviously you go from the LAMP stack, which is just you know Linux, Apache, MySQL, and PHP, mm-hmm. and you know one of the data persistence store kind of you know we we really leave it at that MySQL because you just want to get the data in you what you store the data you get it out you do as much in code as possible and you just get scared of you know queries or something or you do too many queries and there's always that balance between the two and everything so yeah it's really explaining what Postgres has to offer as opposed to MySQL and and in general really actually it turned out to be quite a nice chat just about like 
you know database persistent stores in general you know triggers functions and how much you you know you load you know you load off you know you send off to the database to do processing wise and things like that as opposed to what you do in code and and like leaking domain logic and things like that so no it's a really interesting chat and yeah so i'll put it in the show notes but yeah i'll certainly give that a listen I'm, i'm very much living in the lamp stack thing that you talked about there so I'm, I'm keen to branch out and look at some of these new things so maybe postgres is a good way to go possibly you recommend it oh absolutely yeah but i'm cool. biased to it this is the thing i didn't I, it was funny i was talking to mickey last week and the way because he, he, he pinged me on on twitter saying oh you know you speak a lot about postgres you like it so much what you know explain why it's better than my sequel and i was like crap that's such a fanboy thing of me to be, you know, like if it portrays that I've come off as this fanboy for Postgres, it's like, well, maybe I do at the moment, but MySQL could do every, I mean, MySQL 5.7 has JSON, you know, type, and it ha- I think it stores it in JSONB, so it stores it in an efficient manner. Um, and it can do a lot of the stuff, the niceties like CTEs you don't have, but you can do some kind of things, recursive CTEs and stuff, if you kind of hack around with, um, with MySQL and things. But yeah, I mean, they're, they're both kind of you know one for one you can kind of use them but there are niceties in postgres which is really what i came out with it was kind of there's niceties in postgres that i prefer that other people may prefer may you know lean towards excellent okay cool and you're working on anything exciting this week or uh this week so i was ewok last week uh engineer um of the week ewok yeah engineer of the week on call uh so dealing with you know bugs and things like that which was interesting um i'm trying to think was there any interest there was actually a really interesting one actually i'll talk about quickly um so i I did a blog post on it today so it's how we so in postgres so we're storing for an integer for the id we store it as just an int which is in postgres terms it's not big int; it's just a normal int so it's 32 bits um and it within php so when we're actually passing it in and we're able to you know you supply an id it was going through and it was validating, yeah, this is an integer, this is fine. And then it was going to the database store, you know, it was going through to Postgres and going, no, sorry, this is out of range and things like that. And it was a bit horrible. We should really validate that before we go all the way to Postgres with it. Um, and the reason why was because PHP, our, our, the value, the, the size of an integer within PHP is dependent on your platform. Uh, so it's, you know, either 32 bits or 64 bit. And what I was doing was I just had a little look into how I could validate that an integer could fit into the range of what a 32-bit integer could be, a signed 32-bit integer. And it was really fun. And I was looking through bit masks and things like that. I, I did the actual solution using FilterVar, but then I, in this blog post, I kind of go into a different way of looking at into using bit masks and fun things like that. So it was quite interesting. And talking to Joe Watkins, I was like, is this how PHP stores that, you know, like looking at endiness, like the... Um, so endiness is kind of this like most significant byte and things like that, which is how how essentially how is the integer stored and how you how it's represented and talking to Joe about that, which was quite fun. Awesome. Sounds interesting. How are you, Mick? Uh yeah, I am uh yeah, I'm not too bad. Not too bad, thank you very much. Uh what have you been up to? So uh, pretty much working full time on um on my big sort of freelance project, uh which is like a like a web stats uh, app. Uh, so it's kind of, I want to say similar to, uh, Google analytics because it's not like that kind of scale, but, um, but it does, it it does a lot of stuff that that does, but it also allows you to track like, um, uh, what companies have been on your website, if that information is available. So there's there's a few sort of like different products like that out there, but sort of making a new product for, for that based on react and Postgres, um, flux, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, still, uh, sort of really deep into that um but yeah really really enjoying it to be honest with you cool you very busy or yeah very 
very busy. I mean, how, this, how's the freelance world treating you? Um, yeah, it's good. I mean, it, it's a bit embarrassing to be honest with you because I don't even have a website yet because I'm too busy <laughs> doing the work I've got. I didn't have one until four yeah. months ago. Well, <laughs> it's a fad the web is, you know. It's never going to go anywhere. Yeah, but I, I kind of done everything in the wrong order, but obviously how things happen. But I think it's better to have work than have a website. Like, that's true. If, if, you had, if, you, you know, if you've like, got the, the work, then you're doing all right anyway. That's it, yeah. Well, yeah, but I have to think about like if the work dries out, and then I really need to advertise quick. So, uh, but no, it's a, it's a good problem to have, like you guys say. And uh, yeah, really enjoyed it, and I've really taken the opportunity to to learn a lot of stuff. And um, I really, literally, set out at the beginning of the project and said, look, what are the best technologies, rather than what are the technologies I know. And um, yeah, like you say, Postgres was one of those things. Um, and well, so you championing that as well now then? Well, I look, I don't know anywhere near as, enough about it, like what Ed does, but um, so I can only really comment from like a real noob's perspective, but it is really good and it does seem to deal with um, scale a lot better for me. But for me, probably because I'm doing it the wrong way, but it, it does seem like you need to hold its hand a lot more. So in, certainly in terms of like the way that you're optimizing queries, like okay, I'm going to get, absolutely blasted for this but certainly for me MySQL seems like you can just leave it a little bit more and it will just kind of work out the better way of doing it whereas with Postgres I've, I've certainly had to like say oh this is really dog slow let's change the query and do it another way whereas I've never really had to do that before um, but once that's done it, it definitely seems to deal with the scale a lot better uh, and like like Lee says it's uh, some of the data types that it just supports out the box like you're your IP addresses and that kind of stuff, which was really crucial in my project, is is really nice. And like, yeah, again, uh, it's got JSON now in MySQL, but we've had that in Postgres for much longer. Uh, I don't, IP addresses are they supported in MySQL in, in the latest version? No, so it, it's funny with data types in MySQL; they don't even have Boolean yet, or it right. doesn't have Boolean. Again, I'm not on. I, I sound like I'm on a side here, uh, you know. But yeah, so it doesn't have. It, you still have to treat like a tiny int. A Boolean is an alias to a tiny int. Cool, so cool. yeah, uh, yeah, really busy. All good otherwise. So anyway, yeah. Matt, how, how are you doing? Oh, sorry. Yeah, oh, yeah not too bad. Thanks. I was just really, he's, he's been there, sat patiently for uh, for ten minutes. We haven't said anything yet. <laughs> so, just to just to give a bit of a backstory, I guess. Um, there a company where I work. We do a lot of websites. Uh, we've we've talked about this on a couple of shows, but to anyone that's new, we um a lot of the websites that we build are for property based companies. And uh, a big website that I did recently um used the Vibra API which, um, as we'll discuss, I think Matt's had some involvement with. And um, the project that I'm on now is going to be working with the Zoopla Property Group API and Rightmove and and stuff like that. And again, Matt's had some some interactions with these, so it'll be interesting to see his thoughts on that. But Matt, how you know how did you kind of get into programming in the first place? What's your what's your story? Where, um, where? Yeah, that's a bit of a bit of a funny one. Uh, <laughs> I actually went to uni to do music, um, so I worked on cruise ships for a few years and on cruise oh, ships wow. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i was cool. not expecting that yeah. yeah it was pretty cool um so i was playing drums i was touring um for a while and basically yeah i mean it's something i've always been interested in it's something that i've always you know dabbled with and when i sort of had enough touring i decided i needed to get a, a proper job mm-hmm. <laughs> um so yeah it was just a natural sort of progression to go into that and and so how many how many years ago was that then? Um, that's actually not that long ago. That's, we're sort of talking two thousand and nine, so seven years ago. 
the seven years ago brilliant and did you how did you sort of get into it then did you go straight into did you go into college or were you self-taught or what did you yeah um one of my friends uh had a company that was was doing development work for like channel four and and learn direct and and stuff like that um so i went and worked for him for a summer um just to to learn really so yeah i did that and then went straight into an agency for a while yeah um and then yeah, just just moved, moved and moved and moved some more. <laughs> Tried out a few different places. Yeah, definitely. You know, just going to conferences and you know learning and reading everything I could and trying stuff out. And then ended up, you know, where where I am now, um, working for for a company that does estate agent software. Yeah, this is <laughs> very very podcast specific at the moment. So, are you are you purely PHP developer then? What sort of um, what sort of things do you work with? Yeah, I mean, um, where I am at the moment, they um, they've got a Laravel stack, um, so they've got quite a lot of legacy code, but that's all wrapped within a, a Laravel project. Yeah, um, and then sort of any new code gets gets written in Laravel. Um, got a couple of microservices, you know, written in Lumen and Laravel that I I sort of worked on. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I did my my Symphony certification a couple of years ago. So yeah, I mean, Symphony and, and Laravel really—they're the, they're the main things that I've been working with over the last couple of years. Cool, Symphony certification. Yeah, <laughs> I wasn't. Ed, have you seen that? Are you aware of that? Or have you done that? Or yeah, I know that they do. Are, are they, how did how you found them? Like, did you do these? It was Symphony two, I'm guessing, certification. Yeah, it was the uh, the two point three version. Mm. Now, and how do you find that? Then, do you find it how, has helped, like, for learning, or you know, kind of knowing, you know, that you've got that piece of paper that helps job prospects and things like that yeah i think it's i think it's definitely helped to be honest um i mean there's no revision guide or at least there wasn't back then i think there is now um it's kind of you left your own devices thinking crap what are they actually going to ask yeah definitely <laughs> it's like you know just read the docs as much as you can yeah. and try stuff out. <laughs> um so yeah i mean i went and went and did that and obviously you know passed but yeah it definitely helped at least getting a foot in the door in some places um you know, for that initial conversation. That's uh, brilliant. Because it's funny because I don't know whether Laravel may go down that route eventually. I don't know whether they're on the same, because Symphony's obviously like the Zens and, and they've got kind of the corporate, when you look at Java and things like that, you've got Spring and all that, and they've got certifications for those, I'm guessing. And then Symphony's on that level if you look at, compare it with PHP. But I don't know. I don't know whether that, you know, I don't know. Have, have you heard of any like certifications or anything coming around in Laravel? I haven't heard of anything, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't go down that route. Mm. No, they're, they're the, the symphony certification is that is that pretty much purely about just symphony then or is it kind of general programming or it's pretty much exclusively symphony so it doesn't even go into things like doctrine um or propel or anything anything like that um it's mostly to do with the framework and some stuff oh cool that's interesting i'll be interested to uh to maybe have a little look at that i've kind of dabbled with symphony but I'm um, I'm primarily Laravel now, although I know obviously that's heavily built on Symphony. So, are you are you primarily using Laravel now as opposed to Symphony then? Or yeah, it's a funny funny thing really. The last job I worked at, um, we we built everything in Symphony, and you know it was that's basically what the company was built on. Um, and then I went here not knowing any Laravel at all. <laughs> mm. um, but yeah, it's it's really cool. Um, I know, you know, initially when I looked at it, I was like, oh man, the static methods all over the place. It's, you know, 
It's horrible. Um, facade. The facade. There you go. Someone had, to, yeah, yeah. someone had to bring facade. up that word, didn't they? Someone did. <laughs> I was trying to avoid that one. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, actually sort of getting in there and using it has kind of changed my opinion. On... What, how, how do you find it then to Symphony? Like, would you still prefer Symphony over it or have, has Laravel won you over? I think it depends what you're writing. Yeah, I guess Laravel, you can get some stuff out quickly. Um, and it's it's really good for that, and it's got a lot more stuff bundled. So you've got like all your you you know your queue drivers and mm. and all that kind of stuff, which are heavily sort of baked into the framework. Um, whereas with Symphony, you'd either have to pull a bundle in, or you have you to think what, about it yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I, uh, with with your um, applications that you're currently writing, like have you found that there be that like the initial write, and now eventually they started to become more mature, and like how it how it's worked coping with that because i suppose that's where symphony comes in you know like sometimes you know you think oh, i'm bringing such a big heavyweight thing to the party but eventually you'll need you know you'll be happy that you had all that infrastructure already yeah i think it's um it's really helped having all that there especially like the team that i'm working on at the moment um sort of moving to laravel was a, a big thing for them they've been in like procedural code for forever um and done some refactoring so being able to make that shift into like OOP and stuff. I think they found it a lot easier with Laravel because there's that's a lot cool. more. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of what I'm up to <laughs> at the moment. Cool. Cool. So, um, what's, what kind of, what's your sort of day to day role at the moment then? What kind of things are you actually actively doing? Um, at the moment I'm implementing a property feed. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we just did the, the Zupa real time feed uh, a couple of months ago. Um, and we, we're actually owned by another company that's got a few different software solutions. Um, yeah. so they're moving all their, their feed processing to like a central service. Um, so we're currently migrating our portal sending stuff to send to like the, the central service rather than us handling those ourselves. So, yeah, the, what the there's the Zupa Property Group API, the real time listings. Um, no, <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny. Um, I there mean, seems it, to be quite a few sort of different options. Yeah, we, as a as a platform, we send to something like 150 different portals, and Zupa is one of those. Yeah. Um, whereas the group feed is now going to be responsible for distributing our data to those different portals. So we're currently writing the integration with that central group feed. That will then just distribute to Zupla and Brightmove and, and everybody. Well, that's pretty cool. And and how are you finding it? Or is it all kind of? Well, it must be a minefield apart from anything else. I know. I mean, I know through just reading through the documentation and stuff like that, it looks like it's very, very heavily involved. There's a lot, lot to kind of consider. Yeah, definitely a lot of planning and stuff. I think because we're also sending to to so many different portals, the the differences between between them become really important. Uh, yeah, so we've we've had to do quite a lot of planning. Which other portals are you dealing? Because I've got I've got to deal with um, Zoopla, Prime Location, and Right Move. Those are the three main ones that I've got to do. But you, you're writing for ones other than those, are you? Yeah, so we do like Zoopla, Right Move on the market, um, Prime Location. Uh, there's there's probably like hundreds that nobody's ever heard of. <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, can only imagine. Yeah, there's there's, there's constantly Great. evolving, aren't there? So so what you're you're doing is basically writing tools for for people like me to be able to hook into and and as you say distribute out to all of these. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's not really a public facing thing. I mean, we sell the no. software that that they use in estate agents. Um, that's it's like a cloud hosted solution. You know, software as a service solution. Um, so you know, an estate agent will sign up to to our product, and then they can choose to send to all these different portals themselves, and don't have to deal with you know the the technicalities of it. They just put some data in, and it it appears on right move. Or you know, or Zoopla. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, me and Ed, we've had a bit of a play around with some of it, haven't we, Ed? And it's been it's been interesting so far. <laughs> They're all very different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Different yeah. varying in documentation, different variants. Yeah, variants of a lot of different things that you know relating to them. But I think that's the beauty of APIs. I think you know, it's the barrier to entry is very low with an API, and then you know, everyone has their own way of doing it, and then that's when documentation becomes so vital. But when people don't provide documentation, then you just want to cry. Do you think there should be some sort of like standardization though of of APIs? Like you say, I, I you know, whether well, I mean, there's standardization to formats and things like that. You know, where you've got the hypermedia API yeah. kind of thing. Um, but the trouble is, is that APIs are so you know specific to the to, to that current to that problem. But I guess I suppose you know there could be a. St- I mean, I don't know. Is there is there a standardization of like formats for properties? I don't know. Is there? I know that because you can get like JSON schemas and things like that with yeah, the standardization the, on it and XML. I guess that's maybe what that's trying to solve. This is the first time that I've that I'll be working with that as well. So I mean, I don't really know what to expect with that, but they've um, they provide a zip file with um, with the schemas and stuff and what you need to do. And looking at it, it, it looks like it should all be alright, but it just looks like there's a lot of it. And um, I, I mean, it it specifies that some of some bits are required and some bits aren't. But um, I guess until I start getting my hands dirty with it, I don't. That's when I'll kind of begin to realise what it's actually like. So um, yeah, yeah. So one of the one of the things we did because obviously we've got this fragmentation of where each portal has got different requirements. Uh, we actually built our own internal API schema that requires the data that we know we've always got. Yeah, there's like a core set of data that that we always send to it, um, and from there we've written like um, adapters and mappers and things that will translate that that format into each of the different portal formats. Yeah, um, which has been pretty useful um, because actually in our product we only have to deal with one API schema, um, and then it's it's that service's job. To essentially, you know, say, okay, well, I know how to translate this into Zoopla's format, or so I know how to translate that into Rightmove's format. You take all those feeds and you can like normalize it into your own like yeah. structure that you know you're only playing with that one. That's really, yeah, that's nice. Oh, what about like if they, like when they upgrade their, their versions of the APIs and stuff, do you then have to then follow suit and then upgrade, yeah, like the way you're. Those yeah, right. Move are literally they're launching and their latest one in July, aren't they? So I guess that's something that you guys are looking at at the moment, is it? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, that's that's the nice thing about what we've got is that we don't actually touch any of the calling code. Yeah, um, yeah. We can literally just upgrade one of the portals, you know, within within a, a couple of hours, and you know, it's live, and we, we're using the new format, which is cool. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah it's excellent. So I mean. F- 
going right back to the beginning, how how much of an involvement have you had? Have you been have you been working with it from the start then, or is this something that you pretty much built yourself, or are you with a team building it? Or yeah, we've got a team. Um, I mean, it was I sort of led the project to to build our internal service, and then to to do that mapping into the different formats. And we we've only sort of implemented two two different formats at the moment um, because we've got all the legacy code that sends to all the other portals. Um, so we're trying to incrementally move each portal over to the, the service, um, sort of one at a time, make sure it works, launch it for you know a, f- a few weeks to make sure we've got no errors, and then move on to the next one. Mm. Um, so it's been a it's been a gradual thing. But, What's, but, what sort of challenges have you have you come across on the way with them? How has it how has it kind of been? Has it all been fairly straightforward, or have they all presented their own kind of individual issues or? Yeah, so I mean, with the with the Zupla one, I know you you spoke in the in the last podcast about the TLS issue. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we had exactly the same thing, and I flew off the <laughs> trying to trying to sort that out. Um, and I, you know, I did exactly the same thing as you. I ended up running Laravel Homestead. Yeah. Oh dear. Yeah, I felt like ramming my head against the table. <laughs> <laughs> how how do you uh, test all these things? Because you, obviously you need to test like the infrastructure to make sure it's working, communicating with the APIs. But like with your test suite, do you always hit the their APIs, external APIs, or do you mock those? Um, we generally actually hit their APIs. They've they've usually all got sort of test platforms, mm. so you, you'll get like a sandbox area on their site. Where you, you just can do act- perform like an integration functional test on it to be able to always get the response back, and then work through there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, we've got some instances where we've mocked different responses that we know we're expecting. So things like errors, we know what their, their schema is for an error response. Um, so it's, you know, it's pointless hitting their API and getting an actual error. We, we know what that's going to look like. And, and like logging it and everything like that, because it must be interesting because you're obviously very reliant on these external APIs and making sure that I suppose, like, yeah, how do you go about logging these things? Like, is it very much a lot of logging for responses, like storing the responses exactly how they've come back so you can go back and work from that? Or Yeah, exactly that. We we store the incoming JSON schema, uh, JSON data that, that we sent to our internal API. Um, we store the translated format that we send out to the the portal. And then we store any response that we, we get back in. So we've got full traceability um, through that. And it's all queued as well. So we also know like how many attempts it took. And, and how are you doing the queuing? Is that through Laravel? Yeah, we've yeah. just used the, the built-in Laravel stuff. Um, and what, what uh, driver have you used? Is it? Um, we actually used a third-party RabbitMQ driver. Okay. And how are you finding that? It's actually really cool. Um, it you know, it just works. <laughs> I think that's a, well, that's a nice thing, though, isn't it? I mean, things that just work, and you don't really have to think about them. You can just be like, asynchronously put this on the queue and get the work done. That's the nice thing about the Laravel stuff, where you can literally just say, you know, use queuable, and it, it gets just... put on the queue for you. Um, you know, it does delay jobs. You don't have to worry about that kind of thing. So with some portals, you have to delay sending it to the portal because you're sending it to other portals first. So there's all these like rules around, you know, if it's on this portal, you have to wait 24 hours to send it to this portal. <laughs> oh man, that must be such, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the, and that deals with it all for you then, all these rules you're able to put in place. And Absolutely. Then, oh, yeah. brilliant. And then, and then like working out like uh, current status of those queues and stuff, like does Laravel provide you with a good, inter- like, you know, what's currently going on 
with all of the cues and the jobs in there um or do you have to do a lot of like stats like you know like logging yourself and yeah we do we do a lot of logging ourselves um generally we don't really touch the servers once they've once they're set up and, and running um so we've got i think we've got eight workers or something running the actual queue jobs and is this, is this all on one single box or do you spread out between yeah we've got we've got quite a few um different nodes which are obviously all low balanced um, and then a few boxes that are running, running the workers. Because I suppose because you're doing all these HTTP requests, you know, there's a lot of I suppose a bottleneck. There, a bottleneck is actually those requests. So you do yes. want to spread them between a lot of different workers and different boxes. Uh, did you do you run like do you have do you look um, after the hardware in house or do you have like a VPS or how, how do you work with kind of the servers? Yeah, so we've got um, we've got a DevOps team that that handle all of that. <laughs> <laughs> so that must be nice. Just let them do it. <laughs> Definitely. Um, we did have an issue with the, the Laravel queue workers that they would just randomly die sometimes, but they didn't die completely. So they oh, lovely. They were just hung and frozen, and we couldn't, for the life of us, work out what was going on. Um, we still don't know what was going on. So you've got like because I'm not I haven't actually used the Laravel queue thing. So Laravel queues is an abstraction on top of I suppose any of these different ones you got Beanstalk and you can have yeah. and then so RabbitMQ is you've chosen that like was was there a vested thing to ch- why you chose that like a reason or was it just because it was one of the better ones you could see at um, the time? Basically, we already had some RabbitMQ stuff going on. Oh, brilliant! That works been well, yeah. yeah. So we we didn't have to install any you know any new stuff. We already had servers set up running queues. I was just wondering, maybe, uh, just curiously, like, I wonder if you've got some sort of like race condition there, because I know with Laravel's queue system, it, I think if you get like an exception, it will retry it, is it three times or something? Yeah, you can set that on the, on the worker. There's a flag that says how many times to, to try it. Yeah. So I was thinking maybe it would, it could possibly fail the first time if it was waiting for something else. And then in theory, it could then work the third time or something, which would be a nightmare to, to debug. Yeah, so what we what we do is every time it pulls a job from the queue, we're actually yeah. pulling the data for that job, uh, for that property right. in its current state at that point in time. Gotcha, yeah. So even if we had a job that was that was delayed, but then another job for that property later on. You're always would... using the most up-to-date yeah. information. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And how do you like design uh, like queuable work? Because it is a different way of thinking, isn't it, that this is a delayed action that's going to happen at any time and like you can't it's not just like within the request of like say you know a web request they'll take these are these are different to cron jobs obviously this isn't something that i've done before either but I, i'm interested to hear about this this is these when you say jobs and stuff you're not talking about the same kind of idea as cron jobs this is a completely different thing is it um well you can kind of think of it as cron jobs like it's it, the idea i mean the nice so you've got like the simplest way is to have like a cron job running which you know happens say every minute you're just going to pull off because so, you've got maybe have a queue within your database system which you know has like a list of these are you know currently this is my queue essentially and it's like oh have you processed this action or whatever and you know maybe you'll pull one off there pop one off there and it'd be like okay do this work and then set the process that time and then you've done that bit you know and, and every minute you know it will pick out a hundred of them or however many it has and mm. do that work so you can consider that to be just a very simple queue and then obviously you get into like the RabbitMQ stuff which is a far better way of doing it a far more you know like it's dealing with a lot of different problems allows you to expand and you know you have like a distributed store i mean with RabbitMQ, i guess that it's handling the data persistent like working out like you, when you put it onto the queue it's handling the storage of 
what's currently on the queue, how to distribute it, and you know how to distribute it between nodes and things like that, as opposed to like having to have an external you know database handle that work. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, the the system that the this replaces was working exactly as you say. You know, we, we had a cron job that was running every five minutes, um, pulling stuff off a of MySQL table. And it does work re- remarkably well for what, yeah. you know, I mean, that's the funny thing, like, you know, because it does seem like such a kind of simple solution, but it, it works very well. But, you know, you do get to a scale that when you do really want to know, I mean, like retries and things like this, all this stuff comes out of the box with something like a, a rabid MQ. Yeah, it, one of, that was um, one of the things that we, we kind of had to shift our, think, our, our thinking in was that what, what you were saying before, Mike, where you could get that race condition. Yeah. Um, what they were doing before is they were pulling something off the MySQL table um, and setting a flag on it to say that it was processing. And then if that was uh, successful, it would delete any jobs with that property ID right. from the queue. Now, obviously, when you're doing something like RabbitMQ, that's you kind can't, of, yeah, do that. You just, yeah. you just can't do that. So we had to sort of think, you know, well, what what do we do in this situation? And that's that's what we came up with. You know, pull the data at the point where the job's processed. And, and do you have any actions that are like, that are, I guess happening once, you know, like it, it, are there actions that co- cause issues being run? Say, say like I, I pushed to, a, you know, that, that, ho- that property twice and uh, I pushed that to the queue. And if it happens the first time, that's fine. But if it happens a second time, there's an issue. Or do you design it in a way that it, it can happen? You can push it as many times as you want. It doesn't matter. It's going to cause the same state, the idempotency almost. Yeah, so. absolutely. So, um, because we're pulling that that data straight away and and pushing the current state of the property, it doesn't matter. Um, and like any side effects and things like that, like sending out emails and things. I don't know whether that's kind of things that you would do that you've done mm-hmm. on queue jobs, or is it very much just pulling the data and then storing it within your data store? Yeah, so we handle all our emails and and stuff like that separately. Um, so it you know it it doesn't matter if we send the same property to to Zupla forty times, you know in in the space of 10 minutes, it, it doesn't really matter. Um, obviously, that would require a user to make 40 changes to it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and are you actually using like RabbitMQ for your emails as well, or are you using a different solution? Yeah, we're, we're actually using SendGrid. Um, they're not actually queued at the moment. Um, so we've got a little service that we wrote, and we literally just make a request to it and, and hope that it works for, for most of the emails, because a lot of them aren't important. Um, the things that are important are queued. Um, you know, we we retry them, but there's a lot of stuff that's you know just they're just information emails. It, it doesn't matter if they get there or not. Yeah. So is is the queuing? Are you using that specifically because you're working with so many portals then, or or just yeah. as part of your as you part of your normal workflow anyway, or is it really important part of of what you're doing then? I think the um, the scalability is quite important. Um, you know, we're probably handling somewhere in the region of. You know, maybe a hundred thousand properties a day. Wow! Yeah. Um, so just just being able to to scale up as and when we need to need to. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been yeah. really important. Yeah, would this be something that you recommend that I do then, as I start working with this? Um, maybe not to the same scale. Can I get away with not doing it? Do you think? Or I guess it depends how how busy the site you you you're writing is. Yeah, is it? I'm not entirely sure at this point. I don't. I don't know the, the the company that we're writing it for. A lot of its properties are based in one specific point in London, so I can't imagine it's going to be massively, massively popular like that. And I don't think they're going to be advertising any more than maybe forty, fifty properties at a time. So 
Possibly Again, not. You know, the nice thing with Laravel as well is that, you know, if you did decide you wanted to queue those at a later point, it's just adding a adding a trait to it's the literally class. just bring the trait in and it just does it all. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, I know it sounds mad to say that, doesn't it? Just, yeah, just bring in the trait and it'll do it. Okay, fine. I'll do that. <laughs> uh, have you found uh, have you found like any limitations with Laravel's queuing system, like from your implementations that you're currently, you're currently writing? We haven't really hit any problems. Um, sometimes it'd be nice to not, when you're writing the workers for the code, sometimes it'd be nice to be able to have them external to the code base. Um, generally, when you put something in the queue in Laravel, it serializes the, the name of the handler class, so like the full namespace, mm-hmm. um, which means that generally your, your worker processes need to actually clone the full and they need the whole repo down. So you're going to have separate. So if you've got eight workers, you need those eight repos need to yeah. be on those bot. Yeah. Cause that must mean like a deployment, not nightmare, but a bit of a pain because then bringing them all down, making sure they're all in sync. Yeah. I guess, you know, you, you could get around it. You could just read the job manually and, you know, have a look what class mm-hmm. it was going to run and, and run something else. But then you don't get the niceties of, you know, the deserialization automatically and, and things like that. Um, so I guess it's a trade-off. I've yeah. got a like a little thing just to to ask if you don't mind. Mm. Um, with OAuth, um, do you think that's the best system? Do you think it's secure? Like, how do you manage the security with that? I guess I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, all, all the different authentication systems that you use, like which has been the most, which is the most interesting, and yeah, is OAuth. I'm guessing they're mo- ma- mainly OAuth now, right? The ones you're using. Um. <laughs> This is going to sound really bad. Our internal APIs don't have yeah. any any authentication or anything on them. Okay. Um, because we've got complete control over over the infrastructure, they're completely locked down. Nobody else can access it in any yeah. way, basically. Yeah. Okay. Um, they're all on our own private networks. Um, yeah. That that don't really have any external connectivity. Sure. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we're pretty lucky that we we don't really have to deal with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, if I was going to do that, I'd probably use you know OAuth, maybe JSON Web Tokens, something like that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's also the nice thing about Laravel five point two. It's all built in out of the box. Yeah, that is true. Actually, yeah. Uh, one thing I've been using recently was um, is Lumen. Um, yeah. Because I've also like built it, uh, had to build my own kind of like internal. Well, it's not even an internal API. It's used for both, really. But uh, sort of installed my created my own OAuth server. I say created my own, I used someone else's um, library, uh, but I've done that. And then, um, but it was just like tackling all the security issues for me was a, a bit of a nightmare. And, and a lot of these things like, uh, and obviously with HTTPS and stuff, then a lot of things are covered for you, but still like the idea of some things like the exposure was pretty scary. And then, uh, so I started, you know, looking at things like um, proxies and that kind of thing. But I do find Lumen is is fantastic. But then you start all like the advantages you get with the speed. Then you lose like some of the really nice things you get with Laravel, like Eloquent, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but it, it is, you know, again, you know, Taylor's delivered there. I think Lumen is is really really good. Yeah. So going back to our sort of email communication service, mm. um, yeah. I wrote that in Lumen just yeah. when it had, just when it had just been released. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, you know, you can you can boot. Eloquent. Yes, you can. I did actually. I yeah. try not to use it where possible, like especially if I know someone's going to be like quite a large volume of data. But if it's like simple things like 
I mean, I love like the, you know, the first or create method, which is really nice. So things like that are, you know, quick wins. Quite yeah. Nice to have back in. I did this really weird thing where I've just been reading the DDD and PHP book. Yeah. So we're using eloquence, but I'm actually mapping that to like value objects when it comes out of the database. Right. Okay. How are you finding that kind of like using the active record pattern, kind of hiding that masquerading it with a repository and yeah, these, these simple value objects. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. Um, I'm not sure I'd bother <laughs> in the, in, again. Um, it makes some things really, really tricky. Um, because essentially you're, you know, giving these value objects and then converting them to a, a database table anyway. So. I think that's it. Yeah. I mean, it is how much you want to map to the domain. I mean, that's when doctoring comes in quite handy because, you know, you can just, it does like a unit of work and you can change the, you know, the value, well, the entities and then be like, okay, now persist this and it knows what to do. But if you're still using active record under the hood, you kind of, yeah, you do lose some of the nice things that active record can provide you. And maybe it does muddle the design in some regard. Definitely. I mean, we ended up with a table that had got, you know, every single property of an email object and some of that was serialized json uh, so like the messages obviously we've got multi-part messages where we've got text and html parts mm. um, and we serialize those as a, a json object in the database which in hindsight i probably wouldn't do again but yeah when you pull in that out you've then got to go through that deserialization process to get some nice value objects back I'm just not convinced it's it's always worth the efforts. No, it is. Yeah, I mean, this is. I mean, it is so dependent on what you're current. You know, what you're doing it for. And like, yeah, as you say, like in some cases, it can be used. You're like, actually, do I really want to use this? Is it really giving me value? Yeah. So yeah. it's a good learning exercise. Yeah, I think I, that was that was the thing. Really, I'd just been reading the book, and I was. <laughs> I just wanted to try it. Absolutely, complete. I understand completely where you come from there. Cool. Okay, so I. Asked this question to Ed this morning, and uh, you guys might have seen this website before. You may not. Um, in fact, I remember the domain. Ed, what's the domain again? Was it lingscars.com? Go to. I, was, I don't know if you guys have seen this, but go to lingscars.com. Lingscars. Ling. It's, it's Ling. the most amazing website in the world ever. It really is. <laughs> right. Whoa! I forgot the sounds on there. Sorry, but okay. So I was talking to Ed about this mo- this morning. Like this, I don't know if you guys know the background of this lady. She was on like Dragons Den. Um, anyway, yeah, so I, I kind of get like, uh, I beat myself up now and again and I think like, have I built this website the best way? Have I used the right technologies? Blah, blah, blah. And just the other day I was thinking, you know, I've used React, but in some ways I feel like that slowed my development down because I could have done this quicker if I was using jQuery, even though I know actually I have done it the better way of doing it. But, you know, do you, do you judge the website on the code that's behind it or the functionality at the end and how the user perceives it? And like, like I said, this website is hugely successful. And I was using it the other day. I was looking at cars and I could get to anything I wanted to within like one, two clicks. I could do everything I wanted to do really quickly. Yes, my eyes were bleeding, but, <laughs> but in terms of the functionality, it actually just works yeah. brilliantly well. Yeah. When you said that to me, I, I can't deny that it does. I mean, this is the thing. It, it does have, it does solve the problem of what you're trying to do at that place. Also, yeah. if you view source, the ASCII um, comment art is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> i'll leave it i'll leave what it is to a surprise for the audience but yeah no yeah. It, it, I, I yeah I, I do agree with you that you know i mean this is the thing where using all the latest technology and stuff is great but sometimes you know it's not the it's not the way you do the solution it's the solution itself you know that is you know that you're solving the problem 
it's yeah. fine. You, you say you're not using jQuery much anymore. It's my bread and butter. I I use it on everything, and I've just I'm so comfortable with it. And like Mike says, like I know I can I can do stuff so quickly with it, and I'm not, I haven't often got the luxury of time. So yeah, it depends on on what it is. I mean. There are certain things like on the um, on the estate office side that I did with searching properties and interactive forms and stuff like that that React did add value to it. But with yeah. a with a lot of kind of more basic stuff, I just yeah, I just use jQuery. But there seems to be a a consensus out now that you know don't use that anymore. I think I think it all depends as well. Like you know, jQuery came around at a time where you know we had a lot of browser fragmentation, and you know it was great because it was normalizing that and providing you a very nice you know API for dealing with these things. And it also added out of the box all this like animation stuff. It was better than Moo tools. It was better than Prototype, which completely destroyed your well, actually the prototype of all these objects and stuff. So you know, uncluttering. Um, but then things like the query selector came out, and thing and the JavaScript kind of vanilla JavaScript became nicer um and came more reliable and now it's like well do you really need all the weight that jquery provides like do i need all like the animation stuff and i'm sure you can do custom builds with jquery that will only give you the bits you need but then i think to myself what do i need from jquery like the ability to add event listeners now really is is you know normalized throughout all of the common browsers now um and so yeah it, it, it you know it depends if you're targeting still older browsers then it's great and if you're familiar with it, it's great as well. But you can now do a lot more with jQuery. It's nice that JavaScript's kind of kept caught up, you know, and said, look, okay, look, I can do this now. I can get things by class name and things like that easily. What do you, uh, my builder then, what, what's their policy on browser support and stuff? Where uh, they... So we have a, like a supported browser list, um, which is like essentially we work out what, what browsers have been visiting the site the very most, you know, in, in a, in a space of time and stuff and and we will then drop you know like say well and it's also a vested like kind of it's a it's a decision on like feature as well as like do we care that you know maybe like the admin interface we don't care that you know that every user on the admin side has to be using like a latest browser that's fine like but then maybe on the client side public facing homeowner side it's like well maybe we do want to support ie9 um but you know we, we typically will say no we've dropped it now you know we say like ie9 no ie10 i think we're now on supporting ie11 i don't know whether we we support partially ie10 but oh, so um, definitely not IE8 then. No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, but, you know, so this is the thing. Like, it, it depends on your use case as well. And jQuery still does a good job of that. Um, but, you know, I, I would say now maybe a good time to use polyfills instead, um, you know, which will provide you with things. Like recently we added the polyfill, the classless polyfill, um, which allows you, in, you know, on, on HTML elements within JavaScript to access the class list and be able to manipulate it and easily do things. Again, do things that you could do in jQuery. And, you know, it's like, I want to do this in real JavaScript. And it's, you know, a simple polyfill that you can add. Um, and there's that, you may not need jQuery.com, I think it is, or whatever it's called. And it will show you the alternatives from jQuery to jar- just na- native JavaScript. And, and I think then you're going to learn more of what JavaScript is if you just use JavaScript if you can. Do you not ever get into that situation though, Ed, where you, you're pulling in, you know, 10 different polyfills and, and actually... Ah, you see, that's the thing, yeah, and it's a compromise as well, because if you are going to be... Yeah, I mean, if... In the case, I mean, in the case of this, so the only thing that we're polyfilling is class list because IE9 doesn't support it. Um, but if you were going to be using things such that are so, you know, like, if you're going to have to completely polyfill the whole world to get... If, if I support IE9... And I always support IE9. I think then I would probably say, and, and it was all cases or IE8 or whatever, I would say maybe jQuery is the best way to go still because it would deal with those problems. But I think I it's not 
IE, it's jQuery 2 doesn't support IE 7 and down. I don't know whether that's great. I know it doesn't support IE 6. I know, I know that they're slowly like deprecating themselves of what they support. Um, but you know, so it is, yeah, again, it's working out what you really need and like, do, you know, the polyfills like, do I want to use these things? Like, I mean, the only ones I can see that are very valuable are like query selector, which is amazing because that allows you to do the nice fluent things that you do with jQuery, which is like, just go get me that I, you know, the, the class, you know, of that and things like that. Um, and then stuff like class list, which allows you to work out class based stuff. All of the things such as event handling and stuff can be done using just native JavaScript. So are you using native JavaScript at my builder? Yeah. So we, we, we were slowly going through, like moving from jQuery away from that because the real, the, 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 the you know, the, the, the sending down the payload that you send down for jQuery just to maybe use like a fraction of it is just too much, really. Like if, you know, if I'm bringing down everything, which is all like all the fading in, fading out and all this funky stuff and it, when really it's just like I need a very simple, concise, this is a JavaScript thing. As long as it works on the browsers we support now, that's fine. Well, I've just been uh, looking at learning Vue.js. Very big in Laravel community there at the moment, isn't it? I haven't yeah. That yet. yeah. What, what's that doing differently then? What's the what's the actual aim of it? Um, it's it's more like Angular. So obviously you've got your two-way binding and mm-hmm. things like that. But it seems a lot more lightweight than jQuery. And it's, it's kind of the same thing where if you need some functionality, you can pull that in via a, a plugin. That sounds, that's, yeah, that doesn't sound too bad. So many different options, aren't there? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. The front end has become just exponentially harder and more confusing. And is more Angular awesome. 2 available now? I, haven't even... I think it is available, yeah. And everyone who learned Angular 1 is really upset. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's completely different, isn't it? It is indeed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I quite like React. I, I'm kind of a bit of jQuery, a bit of React. Those are the main two that I'll mess around with at the moment. But maybe maybe down the line I'll have a look at something else and see what they offer. It's just fine. It's just such finding the time, isn't it, to to actually properly experiment with these things? Absolutely, man. Yeah, yeah. 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 What, what you, I mean, what are you using, Mike? Mainly just React and jQuery as well, or what? Uh, what was your thought on what you said? I mean, what? How are you managing that? So I, yeah, I basically uh, I decided I didn't want to use jQuery, uh, and I ended up doing something stupid. I ended up just using it for like my Ajax calls, and I was like, this is crazy. Took it all out because I found that my uh, I started looking at like my asset sizes and stuff and they were huge and i wanted to, to get them down um i think i've banged on it a bit before but i listened to a really good talk about how amazon said that every like 100 milliseconds cost them like x amount of money like huge amounts of money and that inspired me so I've just, everything i've tried to do like talking about lumen before everything i've tried to do is about just trying to speed everything up and just just cut off all the all the the fat and the flesh where i can do it so i'm down to the bone and so i got rid of it and um yeah i really like React and uh, then I started using Flux as well to give it some more structure and um, yeah I think it's really good but I to say Ted this morning I made like a, was it a twenty pound bet with you yes but, um, I think solid in, pounds <laughs> I and I'm going to put it on the podcast now as proof but I think in five years time certainly is what React is right now I think it will be looked on as very bad. And I can't uh, really justify why at the minute, but I just honestly do. Um, I think something, I think things will be a lot better. Because it's so different or? I, I really can't put my finger on the moment. I, I think certainly a lot of it will probably be to do with the fact that I'm probably doing it wrong, but the idea that everything, I do everything as a component, even if that component is only ever used once, that to me, um, doesn't quite sit, sit well for me. But, um, 
I guess really, if you if you really absolutely know that you you're not you're only using that component once, you don't really need to as a component. You could just do it on the fly. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just my one. Th- one thing I found just... with React is that you can you can very easily write way way much more than you need to. And yeah, yeah. When you're trying to split all the components down and stuff like that, you can find that suddenly you five or six right. files deep, and it's I, like, yeah. is that really necessary? Yeah, yeah. I think, I that's think it's yeah, it's just designing it, isn't it, up front, like and learning how you know the the weighing up between the properties and the state of a component, and like how you want to break up a problem. Um, you know, as you say you can break it up too much. It's like it's like any OO kind of concept. You know, I can break these these things up too much. Or maybe I'm going down the different wrong path with it in working out the optimum way at this current time what you know the problem needs. Yeah, yeah. So uh, by no means was that a criticism of React. I think it's absolutely fantastic. I just think in five years' time, I think it would look very, very different in my mind. But uh, so yeah. it's so diverse now, anyway, though, isn't it? There, in five years' time, there will probably be another fifty different options. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Which is good, but yeah, like you say, it's challenging for like us trying to learn them all, but. Yeah, it's a good chance to have. Yeah. Cool. All right, well, we're kind of at our hour now. Uh, Matt, did yeah. you have anything else you wanted to add? Or? No, no, but thanks. Thanks for uh, letting me come on. Oh, thanks, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for fun. coming on. That's been uh, that's been really interesting to pick your brain on that stuff. No doubt we'll be in touch again. So Yeah, yeah definitely. Excellent. And, uh, for, yeah, you're more than welcome to come on and ramble with us any time you want. <laughs> Hopefully it hasn't been too, too, what's the word, too rambly. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, everyone should listen to uh, Ed's podcast on um, Full Stack Radio. I'm going to do that now. It's really good. I listened to I about just, five minutes, but it's only good. So uh, I just yeah. got a notification on Overcast. Oh dear! Yeah, dun 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 dun. Uh oh. <laughs> Scale of one to ten, Ed. How happy were you with it? I- I've only listened to half. I'm all right. I think it's all right. I hope <laughs> it's a, all right. That's about as, as much self praise as you ever give yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was all right. It was all right. <laughs> cool. I'll let you guys be the judge of it, you know. Oh, I can be pretty harsh. I, I hated it. Absolutely hated it. <laughs> yeah, but I won't tell just you. I'll tweet it so everyone. Yes, please see do. My opinion. Yeah. yeah cool. The way the way we do it now. All right. Cool. <laughs> okay. Should we wrap it up there then? Go for yeah. it, man. Awesome. Well, good to see you all, guys. Or good chatting with you. Thanks again, Matt, for coming on and for yes. for chatting with us. And hope everyone has a good rest of week. And yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Oh, I, can't <laughs> no, I, any, I can't think of anything else to add to that. You are going to say like my normal line, which is, oh, it's been a really good show. It's been a great show. And again, thinking, oh, I shouldn't say that because I feel big headed saying that. And then, it's been it's been the most. It's been a show. I'll tell you what, it's show. been the best podcast we've done today. Boom. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> uh, all right, then, guys. Good speaking Thanks. to you. Cheers, guys. Take care. Cheers. Speak soon. Cheers. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Three Devs and a Maybe. You can contact us at contact at 3devsandamaybe.com or follow us on Twitter at the number 3, Devs and a Maybe.